Today I'd like to give a slightly different take on a gospel which is typically interpreted a particular sort of way, if that makes any sense. So the gospel that comes to mind is from the gospel of Mark chapter 12, which basically goes like this. The Lord is, first of all, observing the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says that these people like to say long prayers, they like to wear long robes, they like to be greeted in the marketplaces, and on top of that, they like to have the best seats at banquets. He then goes on to observe people giving to the temple treasury. So first of all, he notices these rich people donating vast sums of money into the temple treasury. And then he focuses on this poor widow who donates simply two copper coins. And of course, the gospel concludes with the Lord saying that his widow actually gave more than all the rest. Because in contrast to these people who gave out of their abundance, she actually gave everything, everything she had to live on. And with that, the gospel basically ends. And so as you probably know, this particular gospel is typically interpreted as an exhortation to be generous. And on top of that, the idea is that generosity looks different depending on who you are, right? Because of course, our circumstances are different. And so, for example, when it comes to tithing in the sense of giving to the church or giving to some sort of charitable cause, the church can never say that you're supposed to give X amount of money uh, to the church coffers or whatever the case may be, because again, our circumstances are different. And even when it comes to the same person, our circumstances change over the course of our lifetime, right? So sometimes we're dependents, sometimes we're students, sometimes we're working, sometimes we're out of a job. And so again, the exact amount that you give is dependent on your particular circumstances. Now that said, the way I want to interpret this particular gospel for our purposes today is to read it more like a moral exhortation. So certainly the call to be generous is part of that, is part of the general moral exhortation that applies to all Christians. But in particular, I want to read this gospel in light of how God sees us in light of our particular struggle to become the persons he's calling us to be. So to illustrate the point, I want to share with you an example from the life of Matt Fred. So this is kind of a loose paraphrase, but basically what he says is that in the minds and from the perspective of respectable church-going folk, for example, uh, it's okay, it's acceptable to say that, look, um, I used to struggle with this, but now I don't struggle with that anymore. So now I'm uh, qualified to be a leader in a church and to give witness talks, to say some variation of before I used to be this, and now I'm that, and one day if you try hard, uh, you can be that too, right? So that's acceptable, again, in the minds of respectable church-going folk. But then he goes on to say that in contrast, what is not acceptable, again, from the perspective of respectable church-going folk, is this idea that I used to struggle with this, and sometimes I still do. Sometimes I feel like I'm making inroads, sometimes I feel like I'm back at square one, um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And his whole point, of course, is that a lot of times we don't know exactly what to do with that. As a result of which the takeaway message is, okay, I guess you're struggling, so try harder, and one day uh, when you're ready, when you're done kind of fixing this particular thing that you're struggling with, you can come back and be a leader in the church and a witness to the Christian thing, and then you can join the rest of us in the sense of saying, before I was this, now I'm that. Now, when you hear that, obviously it can sound kind of demoralizing, but that's precisely why it's important to kind of see how God looks at these things. So to kind of flesh out what the divine perspective is when it comes to this sort of thing, Perhaps I might refer you to a really famous passage in the Old Testament, namely 1 Samuel chapter 16, which basically goes like this. So the prophet Samuel is basically assigned by the Lord to find the next king of Israel. As a result of which, he consults this guy Jesse and invites Jesse to line up before him his various sons. And the idea, of course, is that from these sons, he will pick the future king of Israel. And we're not exactly told what Samuel sees in these guys, but the idea is that he has a certain idea in his mind as to what the future king of Israel will, will look like physically. And so he's thinking, well, surely it's this guy, surely it's that guy, and so on and so forth. But the Lord is telling him, well, no, not this guy, not that guy, not the other guy, right? 
And of course, finally, um, Jesse brings forth his shepherd's son, uh, David, who is handsome and ruddy and all those different things you find in that particular passage. And it turns out that this small boy is the future king of Israel. And at first, um, Samuel was surprised, but then that very famous line emerges from this particular text, where the Lord says to him this, People look to the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. And of course, what is that? But a certain foreshadowing of this gospel that we're talking about today. Again, the gospel of Mark chapter 12. And so as we're struggling to become the persons that God is calling us to be, even though the world might look at us and say, well, look, this person is simply giving the spiritual equivalent of two copper coins. You got to remember, the world looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God knows whether or not you're trying your best, whether you're giving your everything, whether or not you're giving everything you have to live on. And you see, the takeaway message is that it's relatively easy to place your strengths. To say like, look, these are particular areas of my life that I don't struggle with. These are particular virtues that I have. And to kind of live in that space and to perhaps even look down on people who don't share the same strengths or virtues that you have. You see, comparatively speaking, it is a lot harder to fight the fight that God wants you to fight. To apply yourself to those areas of your life where perhaps you need to work, where perhaps you need to struggle over a long period of time. Especially when in those moments the world has a tendency to look down on you because you seem to be giving the spiritual equivalent of, again, two copper coins. But you see, that's why it's really important to know your Bible. And particularly to recall precisely in those moments where you're tempted to give in to despair, that truly, even though the world looks at the outward appearance, God always looks at the heart. He knows how hard the struggle is. He knows how hard you are actually trying. Let's close off with an example now that comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. So this is that really famous story of Jesus walking in the water. So you might recall how the thing goes, right? So the disciples, they find themselves in the midst of the storm. All of a sudden, the Lord appears to them from the heart of the storm, walking on the water. They're terrified, but the Lord identifies himself as, in fact, being the Lord. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting, because Peter at this point feels inspired to say to the Lord, like, look, if it is you, Lord, invite me also to walk on the water, which, of course, the Lord does. And so Peter finds himself walking on the water. But, of course, he notices the wind and the waves. He gets scared as a result of which he begins to sink. He cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord reaches out his hand, pulls him into the boat and says, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, maybe it's just me, but whenever I look at this particular story, I don't focus so much on Peter or even Jesus. I focus more on the disciples in the boat and kind of ask myself the question, what were they thinking when they were seeing this thing kind of play out before their eyes? Well, this is kind of reading into the thing a little bit, but I think what they're thinking after seeing Peter sink and get wet and then be rebuked by the Lord, what they're thinking is something like, wow, what a loser, glad I stayed in the boat. You see, that's precisely why it's really important to never read any particular gospel text in isolation, but rather to always read these things in light of the greater whole. Because if you look at Peter's character arc, if you will, what do you see? You see a guy who, in a certain sense, screws up more than the other apostles. So think, for example, of the calling of St. Peter, right? So at the end of the story, he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Think about the episode at Caesarea Philippi, right? So the Lord says to him, Get behind me, Satan, you have become a stumbling block to me. And on top of that, of course, think about the Last Supper. And so Peter proclaims it very loudly before the disciples and before the Lord that he will never deny the Lord, even if all these other guys actually deny him. In response to which, Jesus says to him, you will deny me three times before the cock crows, which of course he does. And so again, on the face of it, Peter was seen to be the classic screw-up. He was seen to be, in the eyes of the world, the one who was giving, again, the spiritual equivalents of two copper coins. But of course, how the story ends, St. Peter becomes the first pope, the first leader of the fledgling church. And why? 
Well, if you read between the lines, basically St. Peter had the courage to get out of the boat and to walk in the water towards the Lord at the Lord's command, while those other guys stayed in the boat. Because you got to appreciate, right, that St. Peter probably knew darn well there was a really good chance that he would sink, that he would get wet, and therefore be humiliated before his friends and his peers. But he didn't care. All that mattered was that the Lord was calling him, and he was going to walk in the water at the Lord's command. And you see, the Lord sees this, and he understands. And so even though the world might look at St. Peter's repeated failures and say, look, here's a man who's giving the spiritual equivalent again of two copper coins, the Lord doesn't look to the outward appearance, but instead the Lord looks to the heart. And he says to himself, here's a man who has great courage, here's a man who has great love, and this is a man I want to lead my fledgling church. This is the man who's going to become Pope ahead of all those other guys who stayed in the boats. And of course, the same principle basically applies to each one of us, which is basically to say this. When you apply yourself seriously to, again, fight the fight that the Lord wants you to fight, to become the person he's calling you to be, necessarily that whole process, that journey will involve a certain kind of ebb and flow, you know, ups and downs, getting up over and over again. But whenever you're tempted to give into a certain despair in the midst of that struggle, especially when the world tells you that you're giving the spiritual equivalent merely of two copper coins, always remember that the Lord, again, doesn't look to the outward appearance, the Lord looks to the heart. He knows how hard you're trying. He knows whether or not you're giving it your best. And when we're trying our best, trust me when I say to you that the Lord is very pleased. Because in the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, we are called not to be successful, but to be faithful. And faithful to what? Faithful to fight in the fight that the Lord wants us to fight. Again, to become the persons that he's calling us to be. Trust me when I say to you that if you are faithful to that fight to the very end, our Father in heaven truly is glorified. And may God bless you all.